Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Today my guest is a young woman by the name of Joy Hansen, and several years ago she was a student of mine in the social work program at Brigham Young University, Idaho. I look forward to visiting with her, so let's just go ahead and get her on the line. Hello. Hey, Joy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being willing to be part of this podcast. I appreciate it so much. Sure. You know, I read your email, and I'm still in awe. I mean... Oh, stop. No, no, no. I'm I'm really serious. I read that, and I read it again. I'm like, how in the world is she still functioning? <laughs> and I mean that. <laughs> yeah. And I know those that are listening to this podcast aren't going to know what I'm talking about because, you know, you haven't shared anything, but holy cow, it was, it was something. And uh, so I'm hoping that that's something that we'll be able to talk about today. Heck yes, I'm willing. Oh, perfect. Well, where do you want to begin, Joy? Oh my gosh, you lead the way. You, you way. tell me where you want me to start. <laughs> We can start where you're at right now and work our way back, or we can start in the beginning and work our way forward. What would you like to do? Oh, man. I guess we can start at the beginning. I okay. think that'll make more sense in my brain. Okay. Let's do it. I guess I'll start where I started the story when I emailed you. So my husband and I were living in northern Idaho in Moscow, a little town, and I was pregnant with our third, and he was in class working on his master's, and I have this ridiculous syndrome called prodromal labor. So with my last three babies, a couple months before I'm due, about three nights out of the week, maybe four, I'll go into labor and, you know, follows all the classic contractions get closer together. They're more intense. I can't talk through it. I can't breathe through it. And then by early morning, it just drops off and stops. So imagine being in labor for a couple of months. No. <laughs> and, and rather, rather miserable and all the while maybe to a TMI, but dilating all the while. So I get to a point where I'm walking around town at seven, eight centimeters dilated and, and not in labor until, oh, a couple nights later, then I go into labor and then it stops. And it was always before that they, you know, they consider 37 weeks full term. So they would never induce me or help it along. It was just against their policies for their practice for the hospital. So I was miserable for months. I had a cardiac episode. They still don't know why I got life flighted because we lived in a little town, just had a little county hospital. So I had to get life flighted to a big town over the mountains, and they were like, hey, you're probably having this baby tonight. You're only 31 weeks. Be prepared for a NICU stay. Anyways, thankfully, that didn't happen. I didn't have him then, and I had an aunt and uncle who lived in Spokane, so I was able to stay with them for, I think, a little over a week on pretty strict bed rest while my little Scott farmed out to people while my husband worked and went to school, so that was really, really hard. So my husband had to leave. After I got back from Spokane, I got back to Moscow. He was contracted for some summer employment and had to leave on Mother's Day morning. And there I was, just me and my, you know, <laughs> four-year-old and two-year-old and my very pregnant self <laughs> thinking this baby could come any time. But hey, you know, he's just decided to stay put. So that was pretty miserable. Ended up in the hospital again and, you know, labored all night, didn't have a baby, just miserable as can be. And just, I'd had it. I, I tried so hard to just keep my chin up and plow through I was Relief Society president at the time, <laughs> which was really stressful too. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. So my mom finally just heard it in my voice. I was done and she started driving. So it was about a seven hour drive for her. So I think she got there in the evening and like at two o'clock in the morning, I woke up to my water breaking 
and walked into the emergency room. A nurse literally scooped me in a wheelchair, ran down the hall, shoved me in a bed, <laughs> and here comes your baby. And here it comes. It was so, it was very, it was very surreal and just, you know, of course this is how it's going to end after these months and months of being in labor and not and life flighted and heart issues and just, it was pure chaos. So off goes my husband and there I am, finally have this baby. He had some trouble, so he had a feeding tube for a while and and I think he was like 10 days old when the doctor gave me the all clear that I could leave. So I packed my three kids up by myself <laughs> and drove from northern Idaho to southern Idaho, picked up my mother-in-law and her sister, and we drove the three days to the Gulf Coast in Corpus Christi, Texas, where we met up with my husband and where we lived for the summer. A few weeks after we got there, there was kind of like this cold going through the household, going through all the other kids in our social circle. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And I remember looking over, um, the baby was just laying on the couch next to me. And he just looked off. And I thought, oh, he's pale. No, he's gray. No, he's purple. And it just escalated that quickly. And I just jumped up and started yelling and kind of shaking, but just trying to stimulate him. And he he kind of just rolled his eyes back and then took a big gasping breath and pinked up a little. And then he just stopped breathing again and went, you know, pale to gray to dark purple around his eyes and his mouth. And I just threw the baby at my husband and said, keep him breathing. Come to find out it was hand, foot and mouth disease. And I also was sick with it. It's a childhood disease, but this is the second time as an adult I had had it. I had severe open blistered sores all over my hands and the bottom of my feet, down my throat and so here I go running barefoot in my pajamas because it was a lazy Sunday afternoon, running through the apartment complex to ask one of John's co-workers, wives, can you just take care of our kids? The baby's not breathing. We got to go. The Lord had just blessed me earlier that day. I had driven through town and seen a pediatric urgent care, which I have never heard of a specific urgent care just for pediatrics. And the closest thing we knew of, it didn't even go through my mind to call 911. It was like, we're going, you know mom skills, mom power. We're doing this. We're saving our baby. So we jump in the car. Our neighbors are running, chasing after us like, why don't we call 911? And are your kids up in the apartment? And I'm just praying, oh Lord, bless those babies. They don't know these people very good, but they'll be okay. Which funny enough, I left out. This is the second time this has happened when we've been out for summer employment. The first time I had acute pancreatitis and had to leave a two-year-old and a newborn with absolute strangers in a scuzzy hotel because that's where the company <laughs> had put us at first. And yeah, so I was kind of practiced at this, knew that the Lord would just, ah, he's got them. Those kids will be fine. <laughs> Those strangers will take care of them. Just praying it would happen. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so it's kind of like just reliving the same nightmare, like Groundhog's Day over and over. Anyways, he was able to keep him alive as we drove through town and got to this urgent care and, and rushed in. And the nurse didn't believe me. And then she looked at him and said, oh, yeah, he doesn't look good. And they get us in a room and the doctor comes in and. And Liam, that's my son, just did his whole, I'm not breathing, eyes rolling back. And the doctor just starts yelling and he's screaming down the hall because he had said, I think you're going to need to call. He asked, I don't know, maybe a nurse. Well, will you arrange for transport? I think we should have him go to the children's hospital. And then he just started yelling, call 911, forget arranging transport, get them here now. And, you know, it was so surreal because I stood there and, and it was like I was in a fishbowl and he was talking so fast and trying to assess the baby. I'm just standing there with all these open sores, grungy as can be, you know, newborn, you don't get sleep, you don't look pretty. It's, I don't even know if I had showered or brushed my teeth that day, you know, right. miserable myself. And even though he was talking really, really fast and things were moving fast, I just felt like I was in this fishbowl and just everything was warped. 
but I just had this absolute peace wash over me. And he's saying, you know, it's either he's got some horrible viral infection like meningitis or, you know, he might have an, a previously undiagnosed heart condition that the doctors missed. You know, he's really new. Sometimes it doesn't really pop up or become apparent to they're a few weeks old, a couple months old. So really in my mind, I'm thinking this is life and death. And my, my baby that I worked so hard and suffered through so much just to get here is now going to be taken from me. You've got to be kidding me. But the peace was just completely enveloping and overwhelming. And I just kept feeling like, no, he's going to be fine. And it wasn't denial. It was just an absolute assurance from God that he was going to be okay. And he was. He spent a week in the pediatric intensive care. And it came back that he just had hand, foot, and mouth disease. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. Tell me he had pneumonia or some reason why he would just stop breathing like that. And they said, oh, when they're this little, sometimes their bodies just think the fight's bigger than what they have and they just don't fight. They just give up. And I thought, well, that's not reassuring. So we get through all of that. And then, of course, we didn't have insurance at the time. And we were out of, you know, out of network, out of this. And I had met with the social worker at the children's hospital and just waiting on medical bills, knowing it would be astronomical and that we wouldn't be able to afford it. And what are we going to do? And what a huge blessing that when I called to check on our, our balance, because I hadn't been getting bills and they had just written everything off and they made sure we never saw a bill from the urgent care. We never saw a bill from the ambulance ride or from the hospital or any of the diagnostics. I mean, he had a, you know, they did like a, a spinal tap in the triage room of the ER. They didn't even take the time to move him to a sterile room because it was that emergent. And the, the nurse was telling us, watch him because you'll be able to see him seizing and stopping breathing before the monitors will go off. And sure enough, multiple times I'd start yelling, he's doing it, he's doing it. And then the alarms would go off. So it was really, really intense. And I just, through it all, I thought, well, that was such a huge blessing, you know, beautiful, learned a lot of lessons, but I could never figure out. I just was kind of frustrated with the Lord. Like, if you were going to let everything work out and be okay, why did we have to go through that? You know, like, couldn't we have just skipped all that? You gave me the peace. I knew, like, really, why did we have to go through all of that after just going through this massive? I mean, I don't know how many people have done it, but I like to think I know a little bit what the pioneers felt like when, you know, they're packing up their whole livelihood and going across the <laughs> country and having babies on the trail. Like, it's rough. And I got to do it with a car and a hospital and hotels along the way. And, you know, that was a lot. But, you know, yeah. I guess in my mind, it was like, all's well, that ends well. So, I mean, it was a huge experience and part of my life, right? So, anyways, <laughs> yeah, but, go ahead, jump in anytime. Well, yeah, well, no, I'm just, I'm just listening. And it's, it's again, it's a, it's in a story that hard for me to believe somebody, could, one person could go through all this. But let me back up. Even though you went through all of this with your son, the blessing yeah. came in a way of you didn't have to pay for it. Yeah. Right? Somebody, yeah. the the hospital just said, no, you're not, you don't have to pay for it. Yeah. That's a huge blessing. That's Heavenly Father saying, I, you've been through I, a lot, I'm going to help you. Yes. Oh, we were so grateful. I mean, I literally got off the phone. I was in the <laughs> in the walk-in closet because, you know, kids are noisy. Mm -hmm. It's the only quiet place. And I just stayed on my knees and I cried and cried and sobbed and cried <laughs> and thanked the Lord. And my husband knocked timidly, are you okay? What's the, what did they say? And I'm like, they'll never believe it. They wrote it all off. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a huge blessing. It was. And, and I recognize the necessity of it. But 
as with most, if not all trials, it's really hard to see unless yes. it's in retrospect. Yeah, right? you're exactly right. Right now you can look back and see it, but in the middle of the storm, yeah. all you can feel is the, the debris. Of the storm. Yeah. Oh yeah, all you yeah. feel is debris still, hitting you in the face. Yeah, and still just trying to process that not once but twice I've come very, very close to losing this child. And I have to say, you know, props to both of our families and our friends because one phone call and that phone tree starts going, right? Mm -hmm. And you can just feel the power, prayers running through the family and through the friends. And so, so incredibly grateful for our families and our friends that really are family to us. There's many, many out there. Oh, yeah. Um, but the story so, doesn't so end there, that. Joy, does it? The story does no. not end there. It's just <laughs> no, getting started. the story doesn't end there. Mm -hmm. No. So... <laughs> We spent another year, I think, up in Moscow and then moved to West Texas. We were there for about five years. And, you know, hey, it's expensive to live in an oil boom town, right. <laughs> especially shocking to someone coming straight out of, you know, college and multiple kids and you're feeling very poor. And so my sweet husband, who is such a good and patient man and a wonderful husband and father, sacrificed a lot and worked two jobs. Really, really busy, really stressful time just financially and just, you know, it's just hard being parents of little mm -hmm. kids and being busy and it's exhausting. Okay. So we were, we were really, really blessed again with a lot of really wonderful people. We were able to buy our first home. And shortly after we moved in, um, I was already pregnant before we moved in with our fourth and final baby. Same thing happened. I go into labor like at 30 weeks. Baby tries coming early. I'm in and out of the hospital. A couple days here, a week there put on really strict bed rest. Both of our moms came and spent, I think about a month each there with us trying to help with the kids in our home. And, and that was a huge blessing. And, and I just thought, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get through this. I'm so sick of it. All the cardiac monitoring, all the specialists, all the extra doctor visits and just done. So she was born without much fanfare. Thank goodness. <laughs> Didn't really need another <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> super exciting delivery. <laughs> and I thought, man, smooth sailing. I'm so excited. I was, it was so exciting to be off of bed rest. And just be able to leave my home and just even go on a ride in the car. And then my old nemesis, I was going to say old friend, but that is not correct. Mm -hmm. My old nemesis, postpartum depression came knocking. And I thought for some reason that I was just going to skirt by without it this time. Like, surely that would not be a trial placed on me after all this stuff. That was a huge mistake to think that. Right. <laughs> Never underestimate the Lord and what he's going to throw at your, <laughs> throw in your path. But I... I don't even know how to describe how it feels. I know there's a lot of blogs and podcasts and different things out there. And my, the best way I can describe the way it feels is just fading, just fading. And knowing, like I have memories and pictures and little videos that can show proof to me that I enjoy my family, my children, and love my spouse, but I can't feel it. Can't I just quite grasp it, I can't grasp it. I fade. I just get fade. I just get darker and darker and care less and less about things. And it got more severe with each baby. And I thankfully had doctors that were, you know, there for me and, and I was able to go on some medication that helped. But I mean, it gets scary. And I know it really scared my husband. Thankfully, he had a really flexible job and was able to come home, you know, during the day off and on. And he just kind of check up on me. And, and I had great friends that were always there and willing and, you know, felt like a burden, though, because they'd been through the bed rest with me and had helped a lot with kids. I mean, my poor kids get passed off to people left and right every time something right. happens. And, you know, again, we've always been blessed to have people there willing to help. So both of our families, mine lives in Oregon and my husband's family lives in Idaho. So in West Texas, we had to rely on our church family, and that was really beautiful. We really grieved not being near our families, and it, it was a 
there's no other word. It's just a true blessing to be surrounded by people that are willing to just love you like their own. We couldn't have made it through. We wouldn't have survived. I wouldn't have come out on top without those people. And then our family that were willing to sacrifice to come spend, you know, long periods of time helping us. It, you know, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So that was really difficult to get through and, you know, eventually found my way out and it was beautiful. And I was just really finding the beauty of the stage of life I was in. And How long did it take you to get through that part of your life before you started to feel that way again? I mean, before you started feeling the joy, before no pun intended. Before I started intended, feeling but, the joy, you said, yeah. oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pun oh, intended. Oh, <laughs> I get puns all the time. You don't get the name joy no. and not hear stuff frequently. <laughs> yeah, you saw what I did there. <laughs> oh, I did. I thought coming. <laughs> yeah, how long did it take? Gosh, it's such a blur because there were so many things that came in rapid fire succession after that that just took the forefront. You know, it really starts to set in about three or four weeks after the baby's born. And I would say six months in, I finally start feeling a little bit better. And that's with the help of medication and probably eight months and then some before I really just feel like, hey, I'm me again. You know, like I just have this awakening like, oh, I'm back. Hello, world. <laughs> so it's, it's a process. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. A minute ago, you said my old friend, and then you stopped and said, "No, it wasn't my friend yeah. that returned." And it, it got me thinking of a <laughs> of a line in a song by Simon and Garfunkel. And they said, "Hello, darkness, my old Hello, friend. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to yep. you again. Talk with you again. I yeah. know that song well. Yeah. So, did it feel yeah. like darkness? Was it a dark feeling for you during those months and times? It's dark, dark and fuzzy, and just. Anger, I get really angry with my postpartum depression. I get really angry with my baby. I've not been able to nurse any of my babies because I learned with the first two, I didn't nurse them for very long because I would I would just have like this rage and this anger when I'd start hearing those I'm hungry cries. And that's what started cluing me in and talking with friends like, hey, you should talk to your doctor. There's, you know, like, it's one thing to be tired and frustrated and annoyed, but to feel rage and anger at your baby, that's not quite normal, right? right? So, yeah, and that felt really dark. Like, I should really just be soaking all this up and loving this, but I don't love this crying, pooping thing. And I felt really like the odd man out of my friends when I was pregnant. It was really hard for me to feel a connection with the baby. That makes me sound really cold and callous, but, you know, some people are just like, oh, I just love this baby. I just feel so close and connected. And I'm like, eh, they make me sick. They make me tired. I hurt, like, I don't, there's not a whole lot to love about this situation. Right, and at the I time you were saying children. that, uh, yeah, exactly, but <laughs> yeah. but at the time you were saying that, did you know you were going through depression? Um, I think in the back of my mind, I recognized it. You know, here's the thing, too, ha- after getting my degree in social work and having all these classes, as you well know, that, that help us recognize and identify and learn all these things, I think I knew But it was just this pride thing. Like, I just didn't want to admit. My parents were so good growing up at, like, life is hard. And they showed us. And it was like, we went through hard things. But it's okay to go through hard things. But you're tough and you're strong. And it is so incredibly true. But I think in my own mind, I warped that and took it too far. And I always thought I was bigger than everything else I was up against. Which made me break and fall harder. And it was harder for me to... I think I was slower to recognize and then accept the fact where I was at mentally and that I needed help. 
does that make sense? It does. And I like <laughs> you're being very you're being very honest here that the more I'll call it pride, but was it pride? I don't know. I don't want to put that word in your mouth. Was it what was it? Because you held on to I something. I did. I said pride. Okay. Well, then let's um, say pride then. I, there was some of it was pride mm-hmm. and some of it was this like I don't know, I have a pretty strong like pioneer heritage and my dad's all about family history and I've seen so many pictures, like actual pictures of our pioneer ancestors and how hard they work to survive and mm. build up. And I've always in my mind, like, I don't know, I've always loved, you know, cowboys and Indians and pioneers and stories and movies and right. always been like, yeah, I wish I was a pioneer. Like, I like my aunt, like, <laughs> you know, like my great grandpa, he was a trail cook and he's way cool. And I hear all these stories and I just identify with that, I guess, in a way yeah. and have like this spunk. And this, like, I'm strong like them. So I think part of it was just overestimating and there <laughs> my you go. ability. I like that and word. I, I like that. Yeah, overestimating my ability to do it on my own. And I think, you know, an equal portion probably was pride, really, because yeah. I thought I could do it on my own. So, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand, the two different descriptions. But, yeah, good. Um, okay. That, that so, helps to understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. That last baby, that's my Emerson. She was born in October and then that February. So she wasn't even a year old, not even close to that. I found a tumor in my throat and it was just by chance. I had a sore throat and I was rubbing my throat and laughing at something my husband had and tipped my head back and this huge tumor popped up from under my collarbone and filled the palm of my hand. And I was like, is this normal? And immediately my brain of course goes to, Oh, it's cancer. And in all honesty, in my mind and my soul, I knew it was. But again, that peace that I'd felt before when my baby was, you know, on death's door was just there. And I was like, I'm okay. Like, I'm going to be okay. This isn't a big deal. My grandmother died of breast cancer. I, I, you know, associated with many other people that have battled and some won and some lost. And so I know intimately that process and how gut-wrenching that can be. But I was like, no, you're going to be fine. And sure enough, it was actually a tumor that was attached to my thyroid rather than enmeshed in the actual tissue. So I didn't have to do radiation. I didn't have to do chemo or anything like that. So then I add on to like all of this like past medical trauma of babies and <laughs> death and dying, <laughs> and, you know, life lights and weird yeah. labor and deliveries. Now I get to add like this weird survivor guilt because people always see the scar and they want to know, Oh, what happened? A lot of people, I've had people ask me if someone tried slitting my throat and I'm like, really <laughs> like, it looks really it looks really surgical you can even see where like the staples were in the skin so <laughs> but but then i say can't i had a tumor and then like oh was it cancer i'm like well yeah but you know it was a really slow growing like not a big deal cancer but you know people hear cancer and it's yeah. it's automatically over the top right yeah it's a c word so yeah it's the c word right so then i have this weird survivor's guilt we're like that wasn't my experience i can't identify with others that have walked that hard path with treatment but at the same time trying to find some honor in the fact that yeah i found this big old tumor in my throat that was making it hard for me to breathe and swallow and i didn't realize how impending it you know how much it impended that until it got taken out and it was like totally different night and day i'm like oh i thought i just gained some extra weight and my neck was fat and i was <laughs> You know, waking up gasping for air at night, you know, like I I had no clue. I couldn't feel it. It was just tucked down under my collarbone. So it was really hard to like honor what I did experience, but yet have this weird, I don't know. I don't even think survivor's guilt is the right word, but that got added on to my medical trauma anxiety that kept building and building and building. 
So that was in February. <laughs> kind of weird recovery because they have to cut through all the muscles in your throat. So it feels really weird to like turn your head and, you know, had all these little kids at home. So again, I was in a position where I needed help. So that December, Emerson was just over one years old and she was such a monkey. Oh my goodness. She figured out how to get out of her crib. She figured out how to open doors. She figured out how to scale the pantry shelves. She was a monkey. And I thought this kid's going to die. <laughs> this is not going to end well for right. her. And early one morning, I heard her out in the kitchen and I thought she was up on the pantry shelves and she could get up, but she couldn't get down. So I thought, oh my gosh, I got to get out there fast. So I go running out there in the dark and she wasn't in the pantry. She had pushed a box over to the side of the counter, turned the sink on, but pulled the faucet. So it was hitting the counter and flooding the floor. And as I ran out there, I slipped and twisted and fell on the tile floor. And, you know, initially, ow, that hurt. When I tried snowboarding and haven't tried it since when I was a teenager, I, I herniated two discs in my back. And I was like, oh, dang it. It kind of feels like, you know, that, that nerve's pinching. It's, you know, it'll calm down. I'll lay on ice. So I went a few months of just trying to baby it along. and and But it just kept getting worse. And the, all this pain just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point of, I was like disabled. I was pretty much bed bound. I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't load the dishwasher. I couldn't do laundry. I couldn't lift my kids up. I couldn't sit. I had to be laying flat. Went to my GP. Oh yeah, you just probably pinched a nerve and here's some muscle relaxers and pain medication, you know, really rest it for a week and you'll probably feel better. And nope, it just got worse. So then I got referred to the pain management doctor and because I think I'm so tough <laughs> and right. I try to tough it out. Here you go again. I hear, yeah, you know, I don't learn lessons very well, <laughs> apparently, because it's like the same one over and over. Finally, because I got to the pain management doctor when I was already pretty much disabled and in this really, really bad place, the insurance didn't believe him that injections or this or that was going to help me. So they wouldn't approve the MRI. And we'd already been through so many different medical things and surgeries where the bills weren't written off and we had, you know, pretty heavy medical debt. I just could not fathom trying to pay for an MRI out of pocket. And right. so I got denied twice for an MRI. He did do an injection, which helped for like 24 hours. And then finally I had an appointment with him. My husband had, to, I couldn't drive. I was on multiple nerve medications. I was on narcotic pain medication around the clock on like a heavy dose of a anti-inflammatory like I popped so many pills during the day I just wanted to gag I was so sick of it but the nerve medication and of course the narcotics too really messed with my brain so I was just mush and I just wasn't present a lot and just just fuzzy you're not allowed to drive on any of it so I was homebound bed bound and again relying on people and feeling ridiculously frustrated that you know our whole time living in Texas and in this one congregation in this ward, we'd been nothing but a drain on them. I just hated it. It just drove me nuts. And I was Relief Society president again <laughs> oh. and had all of these responsibilities. And, you know, I learned Satan really likes to use failure <laughs> as a tool. And everything I was doing, I was failing at. Most of it out of my control. But still, it felt like a failure. I'm failing at being a wife. I can't cook. I can't clean. 
I can't be I'm TMI. I can't be intimate. Like everybody is suffering. I can't do these things. I'm failing as a wife I, or a mother. I, I hurt all the time. I'm angry. I'm grumpy. I can't even put a child on my lap because it's excruciating. Um, we did get to a point we found ways the kids would come. I would lay in bed and they'd bring a big cookie pan <laughs> and we would try to play a round of Uno or something while I was laying down. You know, I couldn't even walk to the bathroom without almost crumpling to the floor. It was so debilitating and just exhausting. And I was just failing, 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 failing. I, I mean, I, I can't even hardly physically take care of myself. I can't function as a Relief Society president. And I, I went for a long time thinking like, no, I can be creative. I can make phone calls. I can text. I can delegate to counselors. And anyways, I just got to this really, really dark place and, and I recognized it, but it was so overwhelming what I was experiencing and the pain alone, that chronic pain at that level, you just check out, you're just done. Like nothing matters anymore except for finding some sort of a release and end to it. Finally, what was, um, what was your release thoughts? My thoughts. Cause you said it, it came to a point <laughs> where release, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a weird detail, but we had a really nice memory foam mattress for our bed, but it doesn't provide the proper support for spinal alignment and was making my condition worse. And so I even had to have, here's my husband on our king size bed, and I had to have this special little twin bed brought in. So I uh -huh. had like my own little bed, which just made me feel even worse, right? Like now I'm outcast and, you know, <laughs> to my little bed by myself. But I remember just thinking, this is miserable. My husband has sacrificed <laughs> so much through all these different things and like why lord why am i the only one let me break a leg or something why is it always me <laughs> no i don't really want harm no you husband. don't wish that <laughs> um, no i don't but he had worked so hard for our family for so many years and here i was again a huge financial drain for medical bills a huge energy drain yeah, the kids needed me but i couldn't do anything for them i didn't provide much or at least i didn't see that i could or was and it, it was him. He was dad. He was Mr. Mom. He was everything. And I just thought, there's a better life for him and my kids than enduring this. I don't see an end to it. The doctor can't get anywhere. We can't get anything approved. I literally, I can't do this anymore. Cue more anxiety and, and depression and a deep dive. And again, all those medications did not help one bit. And I remember multiple times just thinking, okay, you know what? I've got a, like a basically a pharmacy sitting on my bathroom counter. And the next time, it was always the next time I get to this low or just, you know, if I don't make it through the next day, if I hit this low again tomorrow, then I'm done. And I'm just going to empty every bottle and take everything I have in there and just end it in the nicest way possible that I could think of given my situation. And um, bless my sweet husband. I, Having been through bouts of, you know, postpartum depression, he knew what was going on and he called me so many times throughout the day. I think my family, my sisters and my mother and mother-in-law in particular and, and a few really close friends knew how dark it was, even though I hadn't voiced it and they would try to check in with me. But, you know, I, I started shutting people out and isolating and just like, I can't do this. I can't pretend I'm happy. I can't carry a conversation. I can't answer any more questions about how I'm feeling or what the doctor said. I I can't. I'm just done. I'm tired of doing really hard things. And my husband, I think, was really inspired one night. And he he asked me if I was contemplating suicide. And I I said, no, 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 no. You know, I didn't 
didn't want to worry him and I didn't want him to take my pills away because if right. I really wanted to do it and was <laughs> going to do it, I didn't want him to take that away from me. You know, a lot of the time people were having to come and take my kids for me or just sit at the house with the kids while I laid in my room and they tried to draw me out of my shell, but it, it was deep. It was dark. And just, again, it was, I'm fading into this nothingness. I just felt like I had nothing to give anymore. Um, all I was doing was taking, I was taking people's time and energy and, you know, God bless all the women that brought us food and picked my kids up from school and, you know, drove me to appointments. And anyways, somebody has been asked me and I, I told him no. And then I just, something just snapped and I said, I can't lie to you. I can't lie to you. I thought about it every day and I know exactly what I'm going to do because I can't do this anymore. And I remember just yelling and crying and screaming and telling him all the dark things and all of these thoughts that I just kept so tightly away because he didn't need one more burden or one more thing to worry about or to be on his plate. And true to his nature, he's extremely tender and patient. And he just helped me. I don't even remember what he said after that, but I remember that he just held me and he didn't let go. He was not about to let go. And that got me through it. And, and he was a lot more vigilant even more after that. It, I don't know if he ever counted pills. I didn't ever catch him doing that, but very suspiciously calling me even more and coming home from work even more throughout the day. And, you know, little visitors stopping by. <laughs> he was very aware and, and trying his best to keep me here. And I'm anyways, sure he was, pr- he was probably pretty scared too, you know, he was, and that's just coming yeah. from me as a husband. I think uh, sometimes yeah. we feel helpless because our wives are such superheroes and sometimes yeah. we feel like, what can I do? And, and is there anything I yeah. can do? And you know what you said? It's how he made you feel really. It's not anything he said. It's how he made you feel. That's what stuck with you, isn't it? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Because I had the same arguments. I mean, I was prepared. If anybody was going to ask me if I was thinking suicide, you know, like, you know, oh, I don't have anything to give. Oh, yes, you do. We love, you know, we couldn't imagine life without. I knew what was going to come at me right. if I said that, right? Like, I know, because I know what I would say to other people. So I was already ready for those arguments. And yeah, so it got to a point where I, you know, TMI, but here it is. I couldn't tell when I had to go to the bathroom and I started losing control of that. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, you can have nerves pinched anywhere up and down your spine and it can cause that. I mean, it can be up cervical, like in your neck and cause the same problem. And when that happens, it gets even more serious and you only have about a 50% chance. If even that of gaining back that bowel and bladder control if you fully lose it from nerve damage after surgery. So I was like, wow, I'm 31. I really don't want to wear Depends the rest of my life. Like This is not a stage of life I'm ready for. Not yet. Um, I have a baby in diapers. I don't need to be an adult in diapers too. (laughs) So my doctor got really, really angry and he got on the phone with insurance. I can't remember what he called it, like a peer-to-peer something like the, a doctor that was a rep for the insurance and he went to battle for me and got the MRI right. approved and everything comes back. And he said, this is the biggest extrusion I have ever seen. And I can't believe that you haven't already been in surgery. This is ridiculous. So basically I think it's a combination of old injury and new, but my L5 S1 disc had been completely like obliterated so that if you imagine the disc that's in between your bone and between your vertebrae, the outer rings are actually fibrous and really, really thin. Like there's a lot of layers of these 
thin little rings that make up the big outer ring. And the inside, the neurosurgeon said, a lot of people will say it's like donut jelly, but he said it's like wet crab meat. A lot of people will think wrongly that it's like this jelly, like it can just absorb and move around the body. But he said, no, it's, it's a lot more firm than that. So in many, many, many points in that outer ring were just sliced and busted open. And then this huge chunk of the inner portion had slipped out and was pushing on my spinal column and it was pushing it shoving it down and shoving it to the right. So it was a huge nerve impingement. And then the disc above that as well was ruptured and bulging, although not as severely. So he really, a huge blessing. He was ex- able to expedite an appointment with a neurosurgeon because, again, boomtown, rapid growth, there's way more people than there are doctors, especially specialists, and it takes months and months and months and months to get in. So huge blessing that I was able to get in to see Dr. Lotta and my consult appointment, he walked in and he was on the phone with the hospital and already had a room and a surgery time for me that day because it was that severe and that emergent. And that was like moving too fast and freaked me out, even though I was ready for some huge miracle and was putting so much faith into the miracle of modern medicine. I was like, man, that's freaking me out. That's moving fast. But it really was a few days later. I was in having surgery and, and what a blessing that was. Long recovery and yeah. cue some more anxiety and some, I would say from others looking in, it seemed irrational fears and behaviors, but given how I got injured, it was very rational to me to be very afraid to take a shower because <laughs> right. I didn't want to slip and fall on the tile. So I always had to have like my husband there and I was like, man, I went through so much to get to this point of surgery and healing. Like, I don't want anything to mess it up with it, you know? So I was in a back brace for a while and just had to take it really easy. I was so ready to jump back into life, but I couldn't. I mean, months and months and months and a really strict physical therapy program, which mostly kept me laying down so that I could heal. And so I just kept diving and diving and diving and diving and mentally was just so distraught. I had a friend that coaxed me out of the house which was really hard to do because it was just like, I just want to hide in my hole. And I would just curl in a ball and cry and I would just shake and my heart would just race and I could feel it like clear up in my throat and just dying. I think I'm dying like panic attack, anxiety attacks, just can't do this anymore. I want out of the bed. I want out of my house. (laughs) I think we went to a baby shower of someone from church and you know, it was like my one time out of the house for the week and I had my back brace on and was being all careful and, we got to talking afterward and bless her. She was able to see through the facade of I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm happy. I'm great. Woo. I had surgery. And I think she said something like, no, really, how are you doing? And I damn just broke. And I said, you know, her name's Kaya. I was able just to share everything that I was experiencing, the thoughts of suicide, the, the pain, the, the misery, all of it. <sighs> The hardest part for me was that at that point, I was so numb and so dark and had gone through so many things where I had wondered, like, Lord, are you really there? Because it really feels like you're not. I was so deep into it that I couldn't feel the spirit of the Lord anymore. No matter how hard I tried, how hard I prayed or listened to uplifting music or read scriptures, I I couldn't feel it. And I started doubting, like, why am I believing in something that's like, I don't 
I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know anymore. I don't feel it anymore. And quite frankly, I'm tired of doing hard things and sacrificing. And you know what? I'm really close to just saying I'm okay with walking away and not terrify me. You know me. I've never in my life even come close to that. Call it a spiritual gift, if you will, that I've just had this concrete, hard and fast faith and belief. And beyond that, a knowledge of the truth of the gospel and the religion that I was adhering to and believed and said, this is it. This is it. This is the truth. And this is what I need to do. Interesting enough, through that conversation, she shared that she'd had similar experiences and was in a very similar place herself amidst, if you will, a faith crisis. And it wasn't until that moment when I was willing to be, I hadn't even spoken any of that to my husband or a family member. It wasn't until someone said, me too, that I could say, okay, I'm not the only one. It's okay not being okay. Doesn't mean I have to give up on everything. I can still go through the motions and keep searching for that. But it's okay not to be okay. And the weight that was lifted from my torment, uh huh, that's a really dramatic word, but it was torment mm-hmm. to go through all of that. It wasn't completely gone, but it made not being okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And it was such a beautiful gift that she gave me that vulnerability to hit that bedrock of honesty of it's okay. I'm there too. I feel numb too. It's hard for me to feel it too, but hold on to the little things that you can feel or see and just keep writing it out. And I'm here and call me and talk to me. And I'm going to check in with you. And even if you don't respond, because I know that's hard amid the depression, amid the anxiety, I just want you to know that I'm still here. Even if you don't, you know, get back with me or anything. And that was kind of a turning point, a hinge point in my mental and physical recovery. It's crazy how intrinsically connected the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual is so interconnected. It's really powerful. And I'm learning more and more about it. And I, I almost don't have words. I don't have words for it. I don't know if anybody can put it into words necessarily, but it's powerful and it's there for sure. So yeah, that's most of it. (laughs) Let me go back to a couple of words that your friend said. Me too. Yeah. Could you even imagine up to that point that those two words would help bring you back? No. I mean, think about it. What, what an awesome display of empathy that she had right there. Incredibly simple. Incredibly simple. That's a, that's kind of a key. Yeah. When we have a friend who's struggling and, and I think so often, we listen to them so that we can respond when most of the time we, they just need us to listen, right? right? And it's just the simple things. They don't need grand gestures of friendship and love. It's those very, very simple things that can be a turning point for them. That's in profound. In understanding in anything. Oh, I don't know about that. No, no. Um, no, I think it's very <laughs> profound because a lot of times we look for the big grand gestures and it's right before us all along, and we just don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the simple things. And, and since then, I've seen so much value in being vulnerable, willing to be vulnerable. I think that's the greatest help to most people is to say, me too, and here's what I've experienced. And here's the, the nitty gritty of it. It's not pretty. It doesn't feel good. We don't want to share that with people. There's pride attached to it. There's an overestimation of our ability and how we're doing. But that vulnerability is key. 
I really do. I think it's key to building amazingly strong relationships. I think it's the key to healing and, and helping others. I don't know. I want it. There's a lot of pondering I do about that. And I know there's more to put into words, but I, I have, I haven't pondered enough to have that, but oh, yeah, it sounds that's like, you've, with it. it sounds <laughs> like you've done a lot of pondering though. Really? <laughs> I do. I do a lot. Yeah. I do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is amazing. I can, I, you know, when I read that and we talked, I said, I think this is a two parter because there, <laughs> there's the part about everything that you've gone through, but I think, yeah. Second part, and we need to hook more. up again with that. But I think the second yeah. part is the aftermath and now how you've put all the pieces back together. Yeah, I've got a lot of great retrospective things that have okay. come. So, yeah, I'm okay. happy to share more whenever well, do, you want. <laughs> do me a favor, Joy, and be thinking about, you just said retrospective, be thinking yeah. about some of those things and we will pick another okay. time and we'll get together okay. and i think we'll spend right. that time talking about how are you now and what have you done to get to where you are now so does that sound okay awesome sounds great well joy i can't thank you enough for being vulnerable and okay. and sharing and talking about some hard things and i hope that we can learn a lesson from them so well, so, so just thank you and i appreciate all that you do Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate those words. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. It has been a very good experience to put my thoughts together. I have avoided journaling about all these things because it's it's hard. So now you don't have to journal because it'll be on. <laughs> I know. It's on what? What would you say? It's right? on the air. <laughs> right? It's on the air. And yeah. It's there. It's yeah. for everybody. But yeah, happy to do it. Thanks okay. for reaching out. Thanks again, Joy. We'll talk to you later. Yep. I'll be in touch. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine. This was one of those stories that I feel is very inspiring, and I hope you can tune in to the next episode of my discussion with Joy. And until then, remember to speak up, speak out, and speak often. Bye-bye.